want to welcome uh, those of you who are over in the venue right now. And I, uh, if you are visiting either here or in the venue, um, I want to let you know that all of June, we've got a special uh, series, a special speaker series where each weekend we've got a special guest speaker. And it is a real privilege for me to get to introduce uh, this morning's speaker. And uh, if you reach into your bulletin, there's a, there's a handout that gives a little bit more information about Pastor David Oates and his wife, Kimberly. And they're currently serving uh, over at a church in Florida, but they really began their ministry here at Big Valley Grace uh, Community Church. And uh, David has been in all kinds of roles uh, here uh, when he served here. But at least to me, the most notable was when they birthed the new and young marriage ministry here. And uh, there are even several couples in this room that I know were a part of the new and young marriage uh, group many, many years ago. And in fact, it's been great to see all of them. Uh, many of them have been here this weekend. And uh, it's interesting how we all look the same, but everybody else has gotten a lot older. It's really, uh, there's, there's kind of an irony to that. I don't, I don't know why that is. But uh, anyway, Pastor David has, um, he's had quite an influence. Uh, you may not know him, but his imprint on this church will uh, be here for many, many years to come. And uh, it's an honor for me and my wife to be able to be here this morning because our marriage would not be thriving if it weren't for the investment that Pastor David and Kimberly made on our lives. And I would not be even standing here, I would not be in full-time ministry if it weren't for the discipleship of Pastor David. He is uh, like a Paul to me, uh, if you look in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, when he says, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. And David has been that for my wife and I. David and Kimberly have said, look, don't follow us because we're perfect, but follow us as we just chase after Christ and try to become more and more like him. So it's a real treat and an honor to have Pastor Dave with us this morning. And I just ask that you would welcome up my friend, Pastor David Oates. Uh, it's such an honor to be here with all of you. Um, I, I really consider this coming home. Uh, this is, if you look at my Facebook post, um, I grew up as a military brat, so I moved all around. Uh, Modesto is, is my hometown, so uh, Big Valley Grace will always be my, um, my home church. Um, I, I just, uh, so many people I'd love to honor, but I, I need to honor um, the man, just as Bobby did, uh, who said that he's on staff, uh, and I had some, some small things to do in regard to that. Uh, but with Rick, uh, Rick Countryman, uh, your senior pastor, uh, he's the first guy who ever believed in me as a pastor and really gave me a shot. I'll never forget, I'm sitting in, I'm a senior in college at Liberty University, and everybody knew Rick Countryman. He was coming into town, and he came in and he spoke in our class, and when he walked in the door, I'd never met him before, I just had this really strong impression that I was supposed to ask him if I could be an intern underneath him. I was like, hey, yeah, would you take a chance on me? And he, he did. And uh, he really invested his life uh, into me. Uh, matter of fact, over in the venue right now, that was the, one of the first places I ever preached to a large audience, and he gave me the shot to be able to do that. And uh, I... You have a great pastor. He, uh, God used him to ordain me in the ministry, and all the fruit that comes from my life, uh, may it all give honor to glory to Jesus Christ, but it's come at the hands 
uh, of a man. God uses men, and Rick Countryman has been that man in my life, and I'm eternally grateful uh, for his investment. And you guys are blessed to have him as a pastor. I literally could go through your entire staff and just talk about how amazing they are because they are, but there's just a couple that I want to uh, give mention to. John Fraioli, uh, there's two words that come to my mind when I think of John Fraioli, and those words are integrity and faithfulness. And if John tells you that you need to approve a budget, bless the Lord, approve the budget, because you can trust when he puts his name on something like that. And uh, this ship has been steered financially well because of the integrity and the faithfulness of that man. And you're, you're blessed to be able to have him on the staff here as well. The last guy that I need to mention, and, and I'll, I'll just wrap all the staff together because I don't want to miss anybody, but I, I got in about 2 o'clock in the morning. I, my luggage got lost, and so we finally make, it, make our way to the hotel. And we're walking in, and we're getting checked in, and there's a guy named Ryan behind the, sta- behind the, the counter, and he's checking us in, and he goes, Big Valley Grace. And he goes, hey, let me tell you, Celebrate Recovery and Scott Miller changed my life. And he starts going on and on about, and I'm just like, dude, Scott's my man. And it just, and I, listen, you guys are making such an impact. And you can't go anywhere throughout this city without the fingerprints of what God is doing through Big Valley Grace and the team and the staff. And so look, can we just give God some incredible honor for the team that God has put together here? Thank you, Jesus. Awesome. Well, I want to start off this morning with a confession. Um, I've been in vocational ministry now for 20 years. Uh, 10, almost 11 of them were here in January of this last year. And so when you get to certain mile markers in your life, you have an opportunity to look back and go, what did I love about what happened in the last 20 years? And what were some things that I might want to change just a little bit? And if the Lord tarries his coming, the Lord's impressed upon me some things that, that I would like to change. Um, to set this up for you, though, God led me to Matthew chapter 7. So if you've got your Bibles, I've actually put it up on the screens here. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. We, we see the way that Jesus ends one of the most famous sermons of all time. The Sermon on the Mount. And so there are... Lots of sermons, and there are lots of preachers, but listen, when Jesus preaches, pay attention, right? And he ends, this is the way that he culminates his sermon. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 24, it says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house upon a rock. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it fell and great was its fall. You can can summarize it all up. Jesus says, listen, there's there's people out here that are hearing my sermon and you're going to be doers for what I say. And there are going to be people that, that come along and... They're going to be hearers, and they're not going to be the doers. God longs for us to be the doers. Not just believing with our ears, but believing with our lives. And so, as I process this, I'm going through it. God, I I want to be not just a hearer of your word, but a doer. Looking back over the last 20 years of my life, 
what's an area in which I could do better in the next 20 years? And um, I don't want to miscount the 20 years that God has given to me. I've seen, I've been a part of watching thousands of people take that step across the line of faith and say yes to Jesus. Yes, that's amazing. I've watched people um, fall in love with th this book. I've helped a lot of people in regard to their, their journey. But Matthew 28, 19 says this, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. I have been focused in my ministry on large groups of people, placing them in loving environments, mostly small groups, and giving them opportunities to grow. But I realize that I've missed something very, very significant a difference between moving people along in their spiritual lives versus making disciples. And there's a difference between this. And now, I, I, I'm not, I don't want to discount any of the ministry that God has done through me, praise the Lord for that, but I want to sharpen and I want, to, I want more to come. And, and if you listen and pay attention, my prayer is that God would give you, well, how he's given to me, some of the things that um, might challenge us to go to that next step. Uh, one of the ways that God did this is, is through a man by the name of Jeff Edwards. I've known him for a couple of years. And this guy um, loves people deeply. He, he really has become a mentor in certain ways in my life. And um, there was a man that he got to walk with. And this man's name was Kevin. And Kevin has a typical testimony, and I want to share his testimony with you. He was about 12 years old, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. He raised his hand, and then basically walked away from the church and really didn't do much with it. And after um, a number of years, he went off to culinary school, became a baker, got married, had kids. Some of you might be able to recognize this, and he came around and he said, I need to get back to church. So he found a church in the area, he went to it, and he realized, eh, the church isn't really for me, and so he left. But out of that, there was a couple of guys that came and visited his house, knocked on the door, and said, hey, Kevin, thanks so much for coming out. And he said, yeah, listen, I just wasn't a right fit. He said, listen, before you go, can I ask you a question? And Kevin goes, no, nah, not really, I don't think so. He goes, listen, if you were to die today, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? And he shut the door. And as soon as that door clicked, Kevin stopped, and the Holy Spirit spoke to him. And he said, I don't know. I don't know if I was to die today, if I would go to heaven. And so that sent him on a journey and ended up coming to the church that I'm at now. And he sat in the back row. His wife and his kids were off visiting grandparents in Michigan. And he came in and, and Jeff Edwards happened to be sitting behind him. And during the meet and greet time, they shook hands. And he saw that he was alone. And he said, hey, listen, do you have any plans for lunch? And Kevin said, no. So... He said, will you go out to lunch with me? He said, sure. So they go out to lunch, and Jeff begins to spend the next three years walking with Kevin. Kevin went from not even having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and three years later, this man is our number one guy, volunteer, within our children's ministry. 
His wife has come to Christ. His children love Jesus. He is transforming all of our kids' ministry in unbelievable ways. And I go, wow, how amazing is this? This, this guy, not even knowing Jesus to three years later, this is a major transformation. Here's my confession. My life has been helping people along that journey. But I want people to be able to reproduce themselves. It, you got to go beyond just knowing who Jesus is. The end game is, can you reproduce somebody that looks and walks and talks like Jesus? And for me, the challenge has been, I... I don't know that I've intentionally walked with people in a way to help them to become, uh, to be able to take other people and reproduce themselves to look like Jesus. And so I was reading a, a book by Mike Breen, and a quote, I can't get out of my head. It says this, it says, you can build a church without making disciples, but you can't make disciples without building the church. And I found this to be true. You can work really hard at getting people to join your church and join, hey, come on, we're going to be a part of this, it's going to be awesome. But making disciples is a lot harder. And so over the next 20 years, I long to make a whole lot more disciples than I did in the first 20 years. And those of you that I've gotten the privilege of walking with and your life has become more like Jesus, I'm so grateful. And I don't want to take away from that, but I long for, for even more. And so my question to you is, haven't we all been there? Haven't every one of us made a decision at some point, you go, hey, I want to do this. And then you go down the line and five years later and you look back, and, eh, or maybe 10, or in my case, 20 years, and you go, that was my goal, but here's where I am. So I want to ask this question. What did the early church lack, or I'm sorry, what did the early church have that we lack today? If we were to compare the early church, I mean, those that just gave their life to Jesus Christ started off, and they turned the world upside down. They didn't have any Bibles. Not, not, none of them had this. Leather cover, didn't have it. They didn't have um, church buildings. They had no conference centers, no hymnals, no Christian TV, no radio. How in the world could the church thrive? But their enemies said to them, they are unlearned, uneducated men, but they saw that they had been with Jesus. They had the Holy Spirit, and they lived in such a way that they turned the world upside down with their message. But today, if we're honest, the church in America, we as Christians, are being turned upside down by the world. And the difference is absolutely colossal. They had spiritual giants and and if you look at the American church, I'm not pointing the finger here at Big Valley Grace, I'm just saying across the board we have a lot of spiritual pygmies. How can we move beyond where we are in our walk with God? Have you ever asked the question, are we aimed at the right target? Well, God has something to say about this. One of the most interesting things that stands out to me is our focus as Americans on believing. We've got to believe the right stuff. And believing is a great word. But do you know how many times the word believer is found in the English Bible? In the New Testament? Two times. Two times it talks about believing. And the American church is focused on believing. 
The one time is in Acts 5, 14. Believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes, both men and women. Uh, 1 Timothy 4, 12. Let us not, no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct and spirit and faith and in purity. Great. Great word. 1 John 1, 12. But as many as believe, and again, the word believe is used a lot more than just believer. But believe. 1 John 1.12 says, But as many as believe, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you remember when you became a child of God? Do you remember that? It's a great moment. A great moment. I want to share with you a story where Jesus actually walks us through and we see a man progress in his believing. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 4, verse 46 through 54. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to share the story, and we'll tell the story a little bit. But I want you to have that. John chapter 4, starting in verse 46. Just follow along as I read, and then we will we'll unpack this a little bit. So, so Jesus came again to Canaan of Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And Canaan to Capernaum is about 20 miles away. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went out to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by, by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. And as he was now going down, his servant met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better, and he said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed in his whole entire household. So let me break this story down. You've got a rich nobleman, and he hears the story of Jesus. And not only is Jesus teaching people, but he's actually proving that he's God through the miracles that he's doing. And he's like, man, I want to file that away. And as it would happen, his son gets sick. And we're not talking about a little sickness. Think about this, moms. Think about it. you bringing every single doctor in, and they look at you and they say, there's no hope. There's nothing that we can do. All the moisture's left your son's body. He's laying there. His body's radiating heat. Hotter and hotter. As a dad, you're pacing back and forth. You're trying to do everything in your power. And all of a sudden, he has this memory. that There's a man by the name of Jesus, and, and he works miracles. And we see this, this first stage of, of faith that he begins to have. And he's, he's often in Canaan. It's only 20 miles away. And he decides, even though his faith is really small, he decides to take the 20-mile journey. Now, let me put this into modern-day terms, okay? He's in the seeking stage, seeking process. And in his seeking stage, he's going to go 20 miles. Now, 20 miles to us is like, no problem. We jump in our car, and some of you drive really, really quickly. You can be there in less than 20 minutes, right? <laughs> 
But in that day and age, for you to go 20 miles would be like us getting on an airplane and going on the other side of the world. It would take him about the same amount of time as it would take us to go 20 miles. So the father, with the, the faith inside of him, says, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to search this out. He's my, Jesus is my only hope. So his faith grows a little bit, and he, he goes up to Jesus, and he says, Lord, he finally finds him after 20 miles. Lord, help my child. He's dying. The master, instead of him giving an answer which might console him, actually rebukes him and tells him his faith is so small. He says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will be no, no way believe. The man, however, pays little attention to the rebuke. For there is a desire which has absorbed all the powers of his soul. He wants his son well. His mind is so overwhelmed with that one anxiety that he is oblivious to everything else. He says, sir, please come down before my child dies. You're my only hope. His faith has now arrived at such a point that he pleads in prayer and earnestly asks the Lord to come and heal his son. The master looks on him with eyes of compassion. Can you imagine looking into Jesus' eyes? And he says, go your way, your son lives. And at this point, the father goes away cheerfully and contently, and he moves from the seeking stage to the second stage in our walk with God, in our believing as it grows, and he begins to rely on the words that Jesus said. Do you remember that for you? You remember when somebody said your sins could be forgiven and you went from, I really need something to, I'm going to believe that. And I'm going to begin to rely on it. Even though I don't see anything in my own life. I don't see any fruit from it. He stops crying and he pleading. He begins to trust. He believes that what he sought, he now has been given. And he begins to make his way home, 20 miles back. See, we don't have the, they didn't have the cell phones back then. What happened? No such luck. He's got to get back in just 20 miles, go back. He's on his way back on the road, and all of a sudden, can you picture this? One of his servants running up the road, and he sees him off in the distance, and there he comes. He's like, you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe it. Your son, he was just on the edge. You, oh, we thought he was going to die at any moment. He's well. <laughs> That's a great moment as a parent. You're just sitting there and he's like, oh, I believe Jesus and, and here he is. And so he continues to make his way. He, they have, he asked the servants though, he's like, oh, tell me, what, when did it happen? And he they said the seventh hour, and he calculates back, and he goes, the exact time that Jesus said, go home, your son is well. Amen. Your faith increases again. You're seeking, he's relying, he's, oh, this is incredible, but, but it's still, he hasn't fully tasted it yet. Picture now walking into that little room, and that little boy that he saw over in the corner laying on a mat springs up and lands in his arms, looks his daddy in the eyes, and his cheeks are cool and his eyes are vibrant. Daddy, 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 I missed you. It's at that moment that this man, 
has total full reliance. He's now seen and held the miracle that Jesus had promised to him yesterday, the day before. His faith has gone to the full assurance. And here's how I know. He came to the place where I would say that he became a disciple. Because not only did he believe, but he came to his wife and he said, listen, this Jesus that we had talked about, that we had heard about, we've now seen the things that he has said are true. I'm going to follow Jesus. Would you follow Jesus? He reproduced himself in his wife and his family. His entire family's life was changed. That's the picture of discipleship. They start becoming like him. So I want to go to this word disciple. I want to unpack this just a little bit. Because we keep talking about, remember believers found in the Bible, in the New Testament, how many times in the English Bible? Two times. So what about the word disciple? Because the truth is, most people go, dude, disciples are great for like Rick Countrymans and, and Bobby Kirchners and, you know, those guys are, they're paid to be good. Right? But that's not really for us, you know. Those, those guys who want to live in a monastery, do that. But disciple, that's a scary word. How many times does the Bible talk about disciple? The Bible uses the word disciple 72 times in the book of Matthew. 46 times in the book of Mark. 38 times in the book of Luke. 77 times in the book of John. 30 times in the book of Acts. 263 times the Bible uses this word disciple. Now, if the Bible says something once, you ought to pay attention. If it says it twice, hey, let's zero in. If it says it 263 times, we ought to like really focus in on this. So what's the difference between a believer, an American believer, in the way that we use that terminology, and a disciple? Well, a believer is a baby Christian. And there's nothing wrong with being a baby Christian. Some of you have just heard the news. And so listen, I don't want to discourage a single person in here. If you've just heard who Jesus is and you've said yes to Jesus, praise God you're a believer. It's like I was there for all four of my children being born into the world. It's the greatest day in the world. I'm holding this little tiny life. Wow. They don't do anything other than you feed them because they cry. And then they make a mess. You've got to deal with the consequences, right? They're, but they're beautiful. Believers are beautiful. Believers are Christians just as babies are Christians. And babies are human. They're just not fully developed. Babies can't do anything. They're, they're takers. They need someone to clean up after them. Babies make work. They don't contribute. Pastors and spiritual leaders in the church change spiritual diapers. And you know what? Pastors and spiritual leaders love to change spiritual diapers because it's the process of helping people to grow. But I think the unfortunate thing is, I think there are a lot of people inside the church today that are like 50-year-old babies. And you got a 50-year-old cleaning up a mess after that, it's just, that's just not cool. <laughs> right? 
Believers know a truth, not the truth. And here's the truth. We've all been beautiful believers, baby believers. But God wants more for us. He longs for us to have more. He wants us to grow up. So what's a disciple? I don't want to scare you off. Listen. A disciple is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. A disciple is someone who, with increased intentionality and the passing of time, has a life and ministry that looks more and more like the life and ministry of Jesus. Disciples increasingly have a heart and the character of Jesus Christ. If you look at their lives, they begin to do the things that Jesus did. You don't have to look very far for this to happen. If you look at the New Testament, and we see the disciples and the apostles and the communities that they led, over time they looked more and more like Jesus. I mean, think about this. How did 120 people in an upper room in 250 years, there was 50% of the Roman Empire were followers of Jesus Christ. 50%. Wow. I'll tell you, they simply had a way of reproducing the life of Jesus and disciples in real flesh and blood people who were able to do the things that we read about Jesus doing in the gospel and doing it on purpose and reproducing themselves. Believers are the work, and this is really what the Lord has been working, pressing on me. If you get anything out of this, praise God. This whole message is about conviction of David Oates. So. But believers are the work of the Holy Spirit. They are baby Christians. God said, I will make believers. That's God's promise. He's the one who, who died, and he's the one who says, look, I'll draw people into myself. But here's what he's commanded us to do as the church. Make disciples. This is the work that God has left us to do. We spend a lot of our time making believers, and the Lord said, I'll make the believers. You make them disciples. You make them look like me. So let me ask you, are you a believer? Are you a disciple? Are you somewhere in that journey? We think discipleship belongs to another age, and maybe that's the reason why the church has lost the punch that it had in the earlier days. How do you become a disciple? I'm glad you asked. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 8. I want to give you a verse that Jesus actually addresses this head on. John chapter 8, starting in verse 31. And Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, these are believers. Okay, try it again. These are? They're believers. Right there. The Bible says it. Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. He shows that, hey, start out as a believer. It's great. But keep following me because I long for you to become a disciple. Disciples aren't made in the classroom. It's one of the things that God has really convicted me of. If you think about Jesus and the way that he did life, he was a rabbi. 
And rabbis were an intentional teacher and the entire rabbinical system was set up where a rabbi would come in and say, look, I'm going to choose you because you are going to become like me. I believe that you can talk like me, you can do the things that I do, you can walk like I do, you can perform the things that I do. I believe that you can do what I do. That's the rabbinical system. That's the way that it's set up. And so most rabbis chose the best of the best of the best. They only looked for the super awesome intelligent. So one of the things I love about Jesus, because that's not me. Jesus went down to the Sea of Galilee, and he found all the people that had been passed over by all the other rabbis, and they were out fishing. Average people. Some of them probably below average. And he said, would you follow me? Would you follow me? And he came along and he picked them. And what he was saying to them was, you can become like me. Jesus believes in below average can become like him. It's not just for the Bobby Kirchners of the world. It's not just for the Rick Countrymans of the world. It's for all of us. And we sometimes have this, this tendency to want to elevate certain people, but I'm telling you, look, Jesus' death is more powerful than your death. And a lot of churches, and I've even found myself doing this, we, we kind of teach in the, in the church, hey, listen, Jesus died, give your life to Jesus, hold on because it's going to be a rough go until you die and then you'll get to be with heaven and everything will be great. Listen to me. Jesus died, and his death means more than your death. He came to give us the kingdom, that we can live in victory, that we can have freedom in our lives, that we can be the human beings, the followers of him that look like him today, so the world looks at us and goes, what is it about you? And they go, uh, I've just been hanging out with some people, and they're looking more like Jesus. And they're like, dude, I want to be around that. In fact, Jesus even left and he said, listen, it's good that I go because I'm going to leave for you the comforter, the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, he, he's going to teach you all the things that you need to know about him through his word. You and I can be like him. So how are disciples made? How, how can all of us become more like that? I want to share with you a... Um, and this is, this is getting really, this is going to be convicting here. This, I'm going to share a deep chocolate layer in my life, okay? Um, I'm going to put this quadrant up, and stay with me in regard to this, okay? I, uh, I was probably, I don't know, six, nine months ago, I found this, and I've just been chewing on this. So again, this is just me being real with you of what God's doing in my life. <laughs> um, the top of the quadrant is high invitation, so these would be churches that say, hey, we love Jesus, come on, we, you get invited, you want to be a part of this. Low invitation, hey, we don't really care, we're on the corner, if you want to come, no problem, right? <laughs> you got the high challenge on the other side, hey, come on, we're going to challenge you to live like Jesus Christ. And then the other side, low challenge, hey, whatever, we might have a donut, don't, our coffee's not even made, come on, whatever. You know what I'm saying? So you, you got the whole quadrant, all right? So I'm just going to quickly go through what these different ones look like. The board church. This is the church that just exists. Maybe 
Maybe you come, maybe you don't. The guy's going to get... He's going to get paid no matter what. He doesn't care. He's like, look, our whole service is only 30 minutes long because there's no challenge, right? The stressed out church. This is the one on the other side, okay? So you've got the boring church on this side. The stretch out is the militant one. You're going to memorize 85 verses by tomorrow. Bless God, there's no love in it. There's no grace. Let's get it done, right? Ooh, that scares me. Then you go up to the top quadrant. Chaplaincy quadrant, cozy culture, high invitation, high grace, lots of things offered. Hey, come on in. We got plenty of things for you, but no pressure. No problem. You, hey, pick and choose what you want. Stay as long as you want. No problem. But the discipleship quadrant is the other quadrant over here. And the discipling quadrant is where there's high invitation and high challenge. And I believe that Jesus lived in the high invitation and the high challenge. Now let me make this really personal. It was probably six, nine months ago. I, um, I was going through all of this. And my daughter's 18. She graduated from high school. She's beautiful. I'm, I'm so proud of her. She's a great, great woman. And um, I'm with her. And listen... You can hide from a lot of different people, but you can't hide from your kids. Straight up. And I'm going with my daughter, and we're, 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 uh, we're out someplace, and I hand her this, and I say, hey, talk to me about me and our family and the way that I've kind of done the discipleship thing. Which quadrant would your dad be in? And she said, um, Dad, I think that you are, you'd be in the chaplaincy quadrant. Your uh, cozy culture, I mean, you're always inviting me. You've got, I, I, we get opportunities to go to all kinds of Christian events and all those different things. And you discipline me when I screw up. But when it comes to spirituality and really challenging me personally on things, you're not over in that quadrant. It's like this huge dark, just... <laughs> just love hearing from your children speak the truth like that. You're like, thanks. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> but I was convicted because I've realized that I've spent really the last 20 years of my ministry in the chaplaincy quadrant because there's a lot of insecurities in my own life. Man, I really like people to like me. I, I, man, I, I just like, man... Tell me, I'm, tell me I'm okay, and man, we'll, we'll do ministry together. It's great. I mean, that's, maybe that's more transparent than you want, but it's, it's true. And God's been challenging me and saying, look, that's not the way that I did ministry. In fact, every time Jesus started getting a crowd, he got bigger and bigger, he'd, he'd go, wow, i got too many people here. Hey, here's my new message. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. <laughs> now, those of you who don't know the Bible that well, it's in there. <laughs> and all of a sudden, many disciples left, you know, many of the believers stopped following him at that point. The truth is that when, when the rich young ruler comes to him, if he would have come to me a year ago and says, hey, listen, what do I need to do to give my life to Jesus? What, how, do, how do I get into eternal life? Oh, dude, just pray this prayer and, and just, just walk with me. Come to church whenever you want. And hey, we got a few things you can kind of be a part of. What did Jesus do? Here's what I want you to do. Sell everything that you have and come and follow me. 
You see, Jesus was not afraid to throw down the gauntlet because he knew the kingdom of God was worth it. The gospel was worth it. And he's longing for us to, to as, a, as a church, as those of us that call our names the followers of Jesus, that we would move beyond the believing stage and we begin to become very intentional and walking in the high challenge and inviting ourselves into that environment. Where we look at people that we love and we'd say, listen, because you love me and I want to walk with you, would you challenge me? I want to make it really practical for you. If, if you have been coming to church and you go maybe once a month, eight times a year, and you're here, I'm so grateful. Here's the challenge for you. Find somebody that would hold you accountable that you'd start coming to church every week. That's your step. Now some of you, you've been in followers of Jesus for a long time. You're in a small group. Your step's going to look different than that. You're in a CR group. You're going to look at your sponsor and you're going to say, hey, listen, um, would you hold me accountable to make sure that I'm in this book every single day? So when we get together, uh, it's not just, uh, not just asking me how I'm doing in my area, but you're going to ask me if I'm spending time at the feet of Jesus and reading through this. If you're in a small group, you'd find somebody else who has the same desire that you do. And you'd say, listen, can, can we go to the next level? I love getting here. I love the cookies. I love all of those things. But, but would you ask me about my marriage? Would you ask me about how I'm spending time with my children? I want you to know that it's changed my world. It, it made me that I, I became very intentional about spending time with my daughter. I knew that she was going off to college. She's leaving after the summer. And so Thursday nights was daddy, daughter, date night. And people call, hey, listen, Thursday night's the only night I have available. Da, 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 da. I'm like, sorry, I'm not available. Hey, do you think you can work it out? Nope. Well, why? Because I'm discipling my daughter. Oh, it's that important. Yep. I'm going to become very intentional. And so when I sit with my daughter now, I'm asking her questions. I want to challenge her. Because that's how, that's how we become more like Jesus Christ. And I don't want to just live in the chaplaincy quadrant. I want to go beyond that. I want you to go beyond that. Listen, this world's changing radically. When Jesus comes back, he says, am I going to find faith? And the faith that he wants, that's going to test, that's going to stand the tests that are going to come in our lives, only happens when people challenge us. And here's the truth. You can't get challenged just in a room like this. Because you can sit there right now and go, oh, nice message. I ain't doing it. Nobody else knows. You're sitting there going, Pfft. Good thing he's, a, he's just visiting, whatever that is. <laughs> we'll see him, right? Hey, listen, you, you, it doesn't happen until you find somebody else and you become really intentional and you say, look, can we walk together in an intentional way because I really long for my life to look more like Jesus at the end of this next year. I want to challenge you with that. Because I believe by the power of the Holy Spirit and your desire to do that and doing it in community, God will make a major shift. There's a difference between small groups that are intentional and small groups that aren't intentional. I've been a part of both.
And the truth is that most of the small groups that I've been a part of have been unintentional and they haven't put the edge that I believe that God wants in our hearts. So I want to challenge you to do that. And I want to pray for you. Father, thanks so much for Big Valley Grace. I am so grateful for this church. Lord, this, the impact that this church has affects the entire church of Modesto. Thank you for the pastors and the leaders and your hand upon them, God. It's just, I'm so grateful. Lord, thank you for the way this place is producing disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. May it continue as they lead the way in this community for your name's sake and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you appreciate my friend David? I hope that each one of us uh, really take those words to heart that, and accept the challenge and ask ourselves, uh, who is it that we've invited in our lives to challenge us to ask those hard questions? Who is it that we are asking those questions of? Who are we challenging? And I just want to invite you, uh, if you would like prayer at this moment, uh, in, a, in just a, a, another moment, uh, you can come to the altar room and that's a chance for maybe you to, to, to pray with a spiritual leader on some of these areas, or maybe you've got something else that you'd like prayer for. I also want to remind you this Friday, our, our prayer and our fasting uh, that we as a church are going to do uh, together. Uh, at this moment, I'm going to ask that you stand and I'm going to go ahead and pray for us and then uh, we'll, we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, I'm just so grateful for it's my friend, my pastor, my mentor. David Oates, and how you've used him in my life. Father, I pray in just a few moments that, uh, that many would just come to the Welcome Center and just uh, say hi again, give them a hug, maybe introduce themselves for the first time. And Father, I pray that we would just all uh, spend some time today pondering through your words, your message. Father, that we would not be content with just being cozy in where we are in our own spiritual journey. Father, we would just have a desire to grow more and more like you. Father, I just pray a blessing upon each one here. And as we go, I just pray that the church of Modesto would just uh, scatter all over this community and that this community would look different because of the work that you've done in our lives today. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great rest of your Sunday.